on September 19, 2021. I was driving home from soccer. I play soccer every Sunday. And I was driving home listening to Freakonomics, one of my favorite podcasts. And not just any episode of Freakonomics. I had searched specifically for 23andMe. There was an episode with um, the CEO, an interview with her. And the reason I had searched 23andMe, because on September 19, 2021, I was expecting my results from 23andMe any day. My older sister, who I grew up thinking was my full sister, found out that my mom was pregnant when she met my dad. And she was having trouble finding her bio dad. So I told her, I'll go on 23andMe, do a test, and I'll help you find your bio dad. So that's why I was writing on my results. And I remember specifically on the ride home, because I'd listened to part of the episode on the way to soccer, and then on the way home, specifically, there was a spot where she was talking about family surprises. And the host was talking about family surprises. And I thought at the time, oh my God, those poor people, to get such a shock like that. I swear to you, this thought crossed my mind. 15 minutes before I found out I was an MPE. So I got home, saw the email, sat down on my computer. First thing I did was look at my Norwegian heritage, which is was nil. It was like 0.7% Scandinavian. And I knew something was wrong. Then I looked at DNA matches, and there were two half-sisters I had never heard of that I didn't know existed. And the reason I'm bringing this up today is because I'm obsessed with that moment. Not just me, but in every MPE story. When I listen to other podcasts about MPEs, the climax of the story to me is always that moment of truth, that moment when we find out, when there's no longer any chance of denial, no more believing of anybody else's lies, when you know that you know. And I think the reason I'm so obsessed with it is that I can't explain it to somebody that's never been through it. I can't tell people how it felt. And what I usually say is this. I felt like my feet were no longer touching the ground, but not because I was floating. It's because the ground was no longer there. Now, I know (laughs) we all think that's cute and clever, Don, but it really doesn't describe the emotion that I went through. The total shock, in my case, the excitement. I mean, it was just there's so many feelings, just so much angst and pain. And, you know, it's just so much. I can't describe it. The sadness, the ultimate shock. And I think part of it is that it's hard to describe because it was such a shock for me. Like, I was almost too shocked to feel anything. Rarely have I heard that people cry in that moment because I think we're all just so shocked. So today on Missing Pieces, MPE Life, the moment of truth, I'm your host, Don Anderson. And instead of having one person tell the story and only having the moment of truth as part of the story, what I'm doing today is I'm having five different people only talk about that moment. 
when they found out. There'll be a little bit of backstory, but that's my primary focus today, is that moment of truth. Please don't forget to rate this podcast, and please leave a review. I love hearing from you guys. And you can email me at donnpe at icloud.com, or you can find me on Instagram at npe underscore life underscore podcast. Leave a message. So our first moment of truth is Penny. Penny lives in Northern Virginia, but is from New York originally. When I first spoke to Penny on the phone, she's just this amazing person to talk with. It was like therapy and talking to an old friend all rolled into one. Here's her story. So my name is Penny Siebert, um, and I am an NPE. And I discovered that I was an NPE back in December of 2022. I was caring for my sister uh, who I grew up with, um, who had experienced a stroke, and I'd spent a lot of time with her, and a lot of memories were triggered because of it, and I started remembering some things that made me feel really, really out of place growing up, and I decided, I had thought about taking a test uh, before, uh, because many years before, about 2011, my mother died, and a good friend of her of hers shared with me, oh, when your mother, your mother, um, you know, did a lot of things in her life and there are things you'll never know about her. And she put a little spark in my head um, of going, what is she talking about? So for all of those years, I started to, my imagination was worse than what I thought the truth would be. And so I just kept putting it aside, putting aside, thinking that maybe it was possible that my mother had uh, been with someone else because I had I looked a little different than my siblings. I always felt a little out of place, but there was always excuses and reasons for it. So fast forward many years later, I'm with my sister. She's in her sixties. Um, I'm remembering a lot of things from when I was a kid, and and I um, came back from a visit that was a very difficult visit in October of 2022. And I just, just told my husband, I said, I think I'm going to do it. I, I think it's going to come back that I'm 50% Italian and 50% Spanish. My father would have, was Italian. And I think it's going to be that, but I just, I don't know. I feel compelled to do it. So I did. And that's what happened. I took the test and on December 4th, I think it was, it was a Sunday morning. Um, I didn't expect to get it because, you know, on 23andMe, it'll say when your thing is coming. And they said it was going to be on the Monday. So I'm an early riser and I checked my phone Sunday morning and it said, oh, your results are in. And I really didn't think, I really didn't think it was going to say anything other than what I thought, <laughs> that, you know, that I was 50% of each. And I pulled it up and immediately it said 49.6% Ashkenazi Jew. And I was, ha I mean, I was still lying in bed. My husband was, <laughs> I was still there. And I thought, I thought for sure, I didn't believe it. I thought for sure I read it wrong. I'm reading something wrong. Let me go out of the app and I'll go back in the app. And I'm like pressing the wrong, whatever. So, 
before I did that, I got up, I got dressed, took my dogs out because I'm um, fuddled, I'm befuddled. And I sat on the couch and I looked at it again. And it's, I'm like, like what, what does that mean? I must be reading it wrong. I have to be. And underneath it, it said whatever ad, it adds up to make the other half, the other 100% of Spanish. So the Spanish was right. And so a friend of mine and I talk a lot in the morning. So I called her. I knew she'd be up. And she's big in ancestry stuff. So I said, hey, can you help me with this? I know I must be reading this wrong. I think I, I was completely like, maybe whether I was in shock or denial or whatever, I didn't really feel hardly anything. Then I, she, she says to me, she goes, honey, it says that you're Jewish. You're Ashkenazi Jew. And I said, but I'm not. And she said, but I think you are. And I just stopped and I scrolled down more and I saw the percentage of the other things you could could or couldn't be. And it had 0% for Italian. And that's when it hit me. And I literally, I, I genuinely felt like someone just punched me in the stomach. I didn't cry. I didn't. I just felt like the, all the wind came out of my sails. And I just realized that it was true. And there was this feeling of strange relief, but still getting a sucker punch. It was hard. I'd never felt a feeling like that before, ever in my life. But still, no tears or anything, just this bizarre feeling. And um, we got off the phone. She, she made sure I was okay. I just got off the phone and I sat on the couch and just stared at the phone. I didn't look at anything else on the 23andMe. I just stared at the phone. And um, I didn't wake my husband up. Um, I didn't want to talk to anybody else. And I just sat there got some more coffee and just felt a little numb a little breathless um and eventually I went upstairs and woke my husband up and told him so I explored the app a little bit more um and saw and I don't know if you want me to talk about any of this or not um but and then I saw a match for someone, uh, top match. And um, I didn't know what the percentages meant, but it was like high in like 25%, 26% half brother. And with this name I've never seen before. And um, so I called my friend back and I said, is that a, is that, I mean, is that a high amount, uh, you know, to have? And she said, yes. She said, he is probably you're, you know, we didn't know the terms back then, but it was like, there's probably whoever your father is, that's his son. So, um, everything was just from that point on, when I realized I, there was this other, now there's this other person that's somehow I'm related to, and it made it more real. So yeah, little by little, that, that feeling of 
And one of the reasons why I I listened to your podcast is because I kept saying to my friend, I feel like this missing piece to a puzzle came in. And I was like, oh, well, there's an actual podcast called Missing Pieces. And, um, and so I called my sister. She was shocked because I first question I said to her after I told her, I said, did you know? Because she's eight and a half years older than me. I said, did you know? She said she didn't know. And then I wasn't sure about my brother. I didn't know how he'd react. We have, I wouldn't say a bad relationship, but not super close. But I was like, I got to call him. I got to tell him. So I did. And he was surprisingly devastated, sad, said he didn't know, but he always suspected. Story two. Hello. I am going to share my story anonymously um, because, as most people know, with these types of surprises and information, it affects more people than just oneself. I am 40 years old. I was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. Um, My upbringing was pretty typical of... uh, metropolitan area I went to public schools um, enjoyed playing with my friends and my mother was a single mother all my life Um, I never had a stepfather or anyone that lived in the home uh, that could be identified as an an additional parent and my mother passed in 2000 passed away in 2004 my husband purchased a 23andMe kit ancestry kit for me uh the christmas of 2018 i think it was yeah december of 18 i had no idea what to expect um i didn't know what kind of information i would get and by this time i made a lot of resolve internally with the fact that i wouldn't discover or find out an additional parent and growing up did you know who your dad was No, no. Uh, My mother didn't share that information, and I'm not sure if she was really aware. It took about four to six weeks for the results to come back. And they came back, and it was, you know, of some of the listings, the top one was 49.99% Ashkenazi Jewish. And that just kind of, that was the first main thing that kind of blew my mind. I, that I know of growing up, I mean, I never had any Jewish friends, not until like later in my late, late teens and early adulthood. Um, I had really no exposure to the culture or anything like that. So it was, and it wasn't one of the things that I thought that could be ingredients to my recipe. Through the results, i did share genetic information with someone who was uh, over 8% of the, we shared over 8% of DNA. I waited a couple weeks and really thought about um, how I was going to proceed. I contacted the person. It it turned out to be um, a first cousin, a generation removed, I guess you would say. They're about a decade older than me. 
uh, I contacted this person and they were pretty informed about their family history and the tree and all the family tree and all the things. And they were very generous and kind and courteous to me, which was such a relief. Was this new person Jewish? Yes. Uh, and they, I mean, Shabbat dinner on Fridays. Um, yes, Jewish. Send their kids to um, a Jewish school or Hebrew school, I guess you would say. Uh, so, yes, they were. So I was looking for a father. And over the course of a couple of weeks, we identified someone uh, that it could be. She had to have conversations with him, which all this stuff is just so sensitive, you know, to land in someone's lap. And so you just have to be like patient and kind and patient. We figured would be my father agreed to also do a 23andMe kit. And those results came back and it was guaranteed like 99.99% he was my father. At that moment, you know, I'm 36 years old and I'm looking at, for the first time, photos of a man who was my father. I'm looking at photos of him as a kid who was, and the resemblance is uncanny. I, it was, I was just floored. It was a very overwhelming, powerful experience, um, You know, my whole life, especially with my young, younger childhood as a girl, just thinking about it all the time, who, you know, knowing that there had to be another person to make me, that's just how science works usually. And so um, it was, yeah, I was just floored. It just was, felt like a huge piece of a puzzle that was put together like that last one that snapped in place. I mostly felt a huge relief. I felt like that there was the same relief and satisfaction that you get when you finally click that last puzzle piece in uh, is how I felt. And I also felt a, I just, I remember being in the car and I pulled over and I just wailed and wailed and wailed and cried like for a good amount of time because it was just a, a relief and a release uh, simultaneously. I just went back to the six-year-old girl who was really looking for that person, wondering where they were. All of that went back to when I could first really formulate that there was that missing piece, you know, and when I really started to long for that person or the idea of that person. Story three. Peter's a good friend of mine. We've been on motorcycle trips together. His wife, Kalea, was an early fan of the podcast, so Peter calls me one day and says, you know, I guess I'm an MPE. His moment of truth is so unusual. <laughs> I mean, it's just hilarious. Here it is. Yeah, my name is Peter. I live in Los Angeles. I've been in here about 25 years. Um, grew up in Massachusetts in the rural area of uh, northern, almost New Hampshire, Massachusetts, which meant uh, on Sundays we'd drive 20 minutes over the line to get booze. 
kind of a horse show at home because my mom was an alcoholic and my dad was dealing with that and he wasn't dealing with it well. And my mom was beautiful, um, actress, singer, piano player, all that. And he was smitten and, uh, he didn't, he didn't think it through. And so he married the wrong woman. And, um, as a tot, I paid the price. He took the rage out on me and my sister, mostly me. He was really into the discipline. You know, there was, you know, slide your pants down and get whipped with the belt kind of horror, which was just sort of generational. I, that's the way I looked at it. That was, that's what, that's what they did. And, um, he scared the shit out of me. So by the time I was, uh, six, I'd say I had like physical ticks, like facial ticks that I, you know, from, <laughs> from being whacked with the belt and uh he just terrified me there was so much rage behind his eyes well there was this photo album right and you know this we're talking 1965 it's not there weren't a lot of forms of entertainment necessarily so like a photo album to a little kid is a big deal and fascinating and uh um now i would always look at the uh, wedding photos, my mom and dad at this very humble wedding, but you know, they were both all dressed up and everything. And my sister was in the wedding party, this little five-year-old girl in the wedding party. And I must've looked at it a hundred times. And then one day, I don't know how old I am. It's, I can't pin it down, but somewhere, somewhere between six and 10 years old, it, a, a light went off. And I said, wait a minute, what's my sister doing in the wedding party? She shouldn't be here yet. And it was, you know, that was it. It was just me and my old man. I like on a Saturday or whatever. I don't know where everybody else was, but I'm looking at that photo for the umpteenth time thinking, what the? My old man was taking a shit. And I just walked, you know, this is huge house, right? Four bedroom house and this one terrible bathroom. And I marched right into the bathroom where he was sitting on the throne smoking a Pall Mall. I remember the smell distinctly. And I said, what is this? How can this be? And uh, you can imagine the, <laughs> the shock of him trying to explain in the middle of doing his business. So he's sitting there taking a dump, smoke, having a smoke, probably is, you know, his form of meditation and he's confronted with this massive secret. I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know what their plan was for, for telling me, but now he's forced to, to deal with it. And he's all alone. He can't go anywhere, right? It was perfect. He must have said something quite simply like, yes, your sister is in the wedding and you were an infant being taken care of by your grandparents on the on our wedding day. I'm like, what do you, how is that? And he goes, well, you know, I'm not your real father. I just remember that it, everything made sense. Like everything now made sense. We looked nothing like him. He was sort of dark, almost Mediterranean looking, but um, we're, and we're very, you know, English French heritage, uh, you know, very pasty white New England people. And uh, he was this dark brooding guy. And 
but I'm sure there was some resentment that I have to p- tolerate this snot nosed little kid and he's not even mine. You know, I can, I can safely say that there was a big chunk of that going on now, looking back. You know, my real father had been hovering around and I never knew who that dude was. So I th- think by that point, I'd probably met my real dad safely four times, that there were four different times he showed up. And of course, my sister knows who he is but I don't, but I get in the car with those two and we go out for ice cream. And so my sister's having a nice visit with her father and I'm just in along for the ride with some dude. And one day I remember looking at the keychain in the ignition and it said like, you know, Kenneth Turan insurance, you know, some, you know, a keychain that the, your auto insurance guy gives you and you put it on there. And I just assumed he was our insurance man. <laughs> I, I wasn't a smart kid. Not, you know what I mean? It took me a long time. Wait, wait. So did did you know it was your sister's dad or no? No, no. You thought it was her insurance man? Yes. <laughs> yes. This is this guy's earning his money, man. He's taking these kids out for ice cream. Ugh. And so when did you sort out that he was actually your father? I don't remember specifically who told mom or dad, or, you know, I say dad, Bob, Bob was my uh, adopted father. Yeah, so I have his last name still. To get rid of my biological dad, who was a horrible drunk, they, you know, whatever their divorce arrangement was, this dad number two legally adopted us. We took his name. He was to be responsible for the whole shooting match. So at some point, one of those two, Bob or my mom, her name is Jean, uh, explained who that other guy was, who the the nice ice cream taken insurance agent was, in fact, your father. And I don't know that I ever really could wrap my head around what that meant at that time. But that his now he could call the house and ask for me and talk to me. So, you know, all the adults, they don't want anything to do with this this uh, predicament, this dilemma of how to explain, how to emotionally walk you through all this stuff because they don't have that vocabulary, right? They just said, okay, here's the information. Good luck, everybody. And then they go on about their lives and and you're this little, you know, six to 10-year-old who's, you know, again, the, the home life is pretty horrific. And uh, I, I, ju- I don't know, I just sort of moved on you know that became my mo my my way of dealing with life for quite a few decades was like you just take the arrow and you move on and that was you know probably the first big one story four rachel rachel v has her own podcast it's called shaking the family tree She has such a great podcast voice and personality that it really makes me wish she'd do more episodes. She only has a few. I'll put a link in the show notes. Here is her moment of truth. Okay. So just jump in. Okay, so a little bit of the background of my story is 
I didn't really know who my dad was growing up. I had a name that my mom gave me, and uh, I have maybe a handful of memories with him. I did try to find him and successfully found him when I graduated high school, and I was actually living with friends. Uh, my background is very colorful, and I moved a lot and lived with a lot of different people. So... Um, I did get a hold of him. He came to my graduation. So I didn't really know much about his whole side of the family because I didn't even know him. I just knew the name my whole life. And um, his parents I knew had passed and they never knew I existed either. Um, so I was kind of just trying to figure out more about his side in general, like what his ethnicities were, because he didn't really seem to know either. Um because his family had issues too. So I took a test for that reason. And I chose 23 me because I already knew I had people from my mom's side that had taken that test. And so I knew I would match with them. And um, then I asked him over whenever COVID hit, like everybody was stuck inside and stuff. And so I asked him, because I got one of those emails that was like, hey, find out how Neanderthal you are. And um, so that was kind of my selling point to get him to take it with me. And then he's like, yeah, whatever makes you happy. Like, I'll take it. And so then um, July of 2020, he called me and said, hey, I got my results back, but I can't figure out how to connect to you on the website. So give me a call. So then... I got home. I think I was at the pool with my kids and I got home and I was kind of excited like to learn, you know, how Neanderthal we were. And so then um, I called him and I texted him a link that I got from 23andMe of how to like get people to connect with you on there and you can look at each other's trees. And so I just said, hey, I'm just going to send you this and then it should like pop us together. And I did it. I sent it to him. And I was on the phone with him as I sent it. And then the next thing I heard was him saying, what the fuck? And then I was like, uh-oh. I said, what? And he said, it says 0% shared DNA over three generations. He goes, are you fucking kidding me? And I was like, uh. I was like in shock, I think. Because he was... He's been sick with COPD for many years. And so he's on all these different medicines. And and so I said, the first thing I said was, well, what if you're on a medicine that interacted with the compound in the tube? And then that made it say that we don't have any DNA because the test just didn't work. It was just faulty tests. Like I was trying to like grasp for any straw, you know. And then my husband was sitting there and he says, DNA doesn't lie. Just like super calm. He's a very scientific man. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, that's not helping me right now. So I'll tell you how I felt. <laughs> I have this like mental image that I'll try to convey. So, like, you know, when you see a restroom sign and there's like the little stick person. So, in my mind, it was like one half of the stick person was all my mom's stuff that I knew about her side. And the other half was the little that I knew about birth certificate father. And um, 
and whenever he said 0% DNA shared over three generations, it felt like everything I knew about him just like drained out the bottom of the little stick figure's foot. Like it was just empty. Like half of me was just question mark. I don't know. Who is this? And it could be anyone, you know? And it it was very disorienting. It was definitely like, um, it was a shock. Even though I had like wondered, I was hoping that that he really was my dad. Story five, Heather. So our final story is just heartbreaking in so many ways. And Heather's actually a friend of ours. We've known her for over 20 years. Both of her kids have worked for me. What up, Stephanie and Michael? So somehow Heather heard about my podcast and called me one day. She said she'd listened to an episode and just cried. It was the first time she'd heard someone talk about these same feelings that she had. But she didn't understand why because she didn't think she was an MPE because she always knew she was adopted. Then she told me her story, this story. And I told her, Heather, as soon as someone lied to you about what happened to your bio mother or lied to you about who your parent is, you became an NPE. And I welcomed her into our world and told her she belongs. This is her story. So from the time I was little, when I first started asking, where did I come from? My adopted mom always told me that I was adopted, that she and my father went to the hospital and looked in a big window and there were all these little babies and I was the only one that wasn't crying and they brought me home. And she, and that, um, she told me that pretty much my whole childhood. And then as I got older, um, and started asking, well, why was I adopted? And that's when she told me that my birth mother had died in childbirth. And, you know, I just, I just took the information and just lived my life. I never thought twice about it. When I was 25 years old, for some strange reason, I wrote a letter to my birth mom the night before my 25th birthday just thanking her for for having me, for carrying me and giving birth to me, not knowing, you know, I, my understanding was she was dead, but for some reason I wrote that. And a um, few years later when I was, uh, I was just turning 30 and I had gotten married and was pregnant, um, as I, as my pregnancy, you know, the months went by, I started getting nervous going, well, why did she die? You know, I started asking questions, and and my mom just kind of ignored me. And then I was about two months away from delivering, and it really was giving me anxiety. And she she let me write to the doctor. She gave me the information of the doctor that delivered me back in New York, where I was born in Buffalo, New York, and. And I wrote to him, and he wrote back a letter saying she died a couple weeks later of an unrelated accident. And, and, and when I read that, I, 
it, it just, all these questions start coming up because as my mom had always told me in the story that I grew up with was that I had been adopted at five days. So then I was like, well, why, if she didn't die at five days, you know, what, what's going on? And I wrote back to him and that's when he wrote back to me again and he said, um, please don't ever tell your mother that I told you any of this. But he said, your birth mother was unwed uh, and she gave you up for adoption. You know, that she, and he told me her name. He told me that she had an easy delivery. And, um, you know, and that it just, it, like Pandora's box just blew open for me. Uh, I called my my mom and I started yelling and screaming at her because I was so angry. Of you know why was you know why did you lie to me? But um, so and then um, I I had that information uh, and I just this this whole thing has just been like little layers here and there. It's like I could only handle so much information. And, you know, I had my daughter every, you know, had a wonderful delivery. And um, a few years later, after my son had been born, um, I, you know, another seed was planted, the spark started again, and I, I wanted to know more. And I, I reached out to uh, somebody that put me in touch with another person that uh, knew an investigator back in New York, and it was illegal to find out that information. And I hired her, and uh, she found my birth mother. And you know, I had a name, and you know, from back when I was pregnant, from the doctor. And she found, you know, who she thought was my birth mother. And I, I held on to that information for a few months, and then one morning, I, I. Early in the morning, I picked up the phone and I called her. And I said, you know, I think that you may be my birth mother. And she told me that I had the wrong person. And um, she was polite enough, but she said I had the wrong person. And I called the woman, the investigator, back and I said, well, she said it was not her. And that I had the wrong person. She goes, no, that's the right person. And she had given me... Um, my grandfather's obituary. That's how she found her, was through my grandfather's obituary. So again, uh, that I called her back one more time, and and she was extremely rude to me, and she said that I you know, had the wrong person and never call her again. Um, and I just, I sat there devastated. The first time I called her and she said that, I, I it was early in the morning. Uh, I was sitting on the couch in my house. Everybody else in the household was asleep, and I just I never said anything to anybody about it that I had called her. What I did do back then was I wrote to the New York Health Department because uh, they did give you non-identifying information, and. She barely filled out anything on it. Uh, there were, you know, of course, no names, but it did say that she had had two children before me. 
you know, so I, I, you know, again, just bits and pieces of this puzzle over the years, you know, over decades. My daughter and my son, oh gosh, now it's been eight years, seven years ago, bought me the Ancestry and the 23andMe kits and had me do the DNA. And I kept looking, you know, I would check it all the time and and there was never any siblings. There was over a thousand relatives, but it was all fourth and fifth cousins, you know, third, fourth, and fifth cousins, uh, no close relatives. And again, you know, New York State Department or New York State, uh, everything was sealed and uh, all adopt, uh, adoption papers had been sealed for over 80 years. It was a law. And a friend of mine here in California, um, who's also adopted from New York, she and I would talk to each other about things. And she called me one day to tell me that the New York State Assembly, they had voted to unseal 80 years of adoption papers so that people could get adopted people had the right to have their original birth certificates. But that day, when it was first announced, um, I went back on Ancestry for one last time because I had given up on it probably six months or a year before. I just, I kind of resolved myself that I was never going to find anything out. And there, there he was. I had a half-sibling. It had his name. Um, it was the same last name as the woman that I had spoken to uh, back in 1988, uh, you know, and then this was uh, 2019 when I got that information. And I just, tears flowed. You know, it was the, it was the last piece of the puzzle that for decades I'd been searching for. And I had had such a bad experience uh, and rejection when I had reached out to my birth mother that first time. Um, a friend of mine who helps people like me and like everybody that listens in here to help them put those pieces together. And she offered to reach out to my half-brother and see if he'd be interested in meeting me. And within 24 hours, uh, he and I were on the telephone with one another, and we just both cried. He had absolutely no knowledge that he had a younger sibling. He immediately called his brother, who was, so I have two older half-brothers, and they just embraced me. Um, two days after he and I had that initial contact, there were uh, flowers delivered to my house, and on the card it said, because it was like July or August when, when I found, when he and I connected, and my birthday's in June, and the card said, um, we're so sorry that we missed your birthday, but we'll never miss it again. Love your brothers. And it was, um, it was pretty magnificent you know the feelings 
I was so filled with feelings that I, it was like it was really happening. I really, I, I had spent my whole life never knowing anything of who I was or where I came from or what my heritage was. And the two of them filled me in on everything from my birth mother's side, all about my grandfather, all about uh, you know my grandmother and, and how they grew up. And, and it was just like this plethora of information that people just take for granted that you know they know this stuff. But I'd, I'd always felt like I never belonged anywhere. Um, and it took a little bit, but uh, he immediately said, can I get on an airplane and come see you? And it was so overwhelming. I said, I need a little time for it to sink in, you know, to land. And uh, in January of uh, 2020, he flew out to meet me. We spent four days together, and when he came to the front door, and I opened the door, and I looked at this man that I'm almost six feet tall, and he was about six feet tall, and our eyes connected, and it was the first time in my life that I'd ever looked at somebody who had the same DNA as me besides my children. And it was like we'd known each other our whole lives. Um yeah, it was it was pretty amazing. And we spent four days together and and just talked. We just talked and talked and talked. And um my biological mother is still alive. And uh that was the second thing that he told me. He said that at the time she was uh ninety three or ninety-four years old. She's ninety-seven now. And um and she and I got to have a couple conversations. Uh, Tim and I, uh, we just, I don't know if it's because we met physically or it was just that instant bond that we had, but there was such a strong bond between us. And in April of last year, um, he had an accident. Uh, he had been out to dinner with his wife and he came home and he was taking the dogs out uh, for their evening run and he f must have tripped and fallen something he tripped and fell uh, down three stairs and he broke his neck in four places and died and uh he was on life support for two days before they disconnected him. But it was, um, you know, it was another huge loss um, because I, I knew him. You know, he and I had, I lost my brother and I was so, in that moment, I was so thankful that even though I only got to know him for, um, you know, like a year and nine months, um, it was one of the biggest gifts of my life. Thank you, Heather, for sharing your story. And everyone else on today's program. Penny, Anonymous, Peter, Rachel. Thank you all. 
I'd also like to thank Billy Solomon for the amazing music on today's episode. To check out his library, please visit solystone.com. My name is Don Anderson, and I'm the host, producer, and editor. Don't forget to follow us so you won't miss the next episode of Missing Pieces.